Hey everyone, welcome to the Acrobatic Arts Podcast. I'm Loren, and I will be interviewing some of the top leaders and innovators from the dance and acrobatic industry. If you are a teacher, performer, student, or a lifelong learner like myself, you are sure to find these episodes intriguing and full of inspiration. Acrobatic Arts is passionate about providing current and relevant information for everyone. So please, sit back and enjoy as we share our passion with you and the world. September is Pain Awareness Month, and pain is often a symptom of many hypermobility spectrum disorders. Today on the podcast, I am so lucky to be talking with Dr. Linda Bluestein. Let's listen as Linda shares some very important information on this topic. Linda Bluestein, hello and welcome to the Acrobatic Arts Podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I have to tell you, it is such a treat talking with you today. I have attended in-person classes with you and have been listening to your own podcast called Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD. And I just want to let our listeners know that Linda is the Hypermobility MD. And I have a feeling that today's talk is going to answer many questions that dance and acro teachers, as well as dancers and acrobats may have about flexibility. But before we discuss those questions, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background your journey with dance, and how you finally ended up where you are today as the hypermobility MD. Sure. So I grew up as a dancer, and that was my plan A, was to become a professional dancer. However, when I was in high school, I started developing a lot of problems with joint pain, started seeing rheumatologists as early as I think maybe 15 or so, and nobody could really figure out what was going on. It wasn't until many, many, many years later, um, after I decided that plan B would be going to medical school, pursuing a career as a physician, and I practiced as an anesthesiologist for many years. And as my medical problems started to catch up with me more and more, and even began to interfere with my ability to uh, perform as an anesthesiologist in the operating room, I began to do more research on my own and discovered that there were connective tissue disorders that could cause both hypermobility, meaning joints that have greater than expected range of motion, and could cause a lot of the other symptoms that I was experiencing. So I started to do a lot of my own research and reading and writing and realized that, um, I think maybe this applies to me, started to basically treat my own symptoms and was able to dramatically turn my life around from, you know, I was at a point where I was in severe pain. I wasn't able to um, function well. I was really in a, in a bad place, to be perfectly honest. And basically, though, was able to make a dramatic improvement in my own quality of life Although it may sound very cliche, I, I see now my hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos as a gift because it was able to allow me the opportunity to take all of the things that I had learned in medical school and in residency and through 20 plus years of clinical experience and combine that with my love of dance, my, my love and passion for helping dancers into a place where I could begin to detect those 
signs earlier in dancers and offer to dancers what I wish I had back when I was a teenager. You know, I wish someone had said to me, you know, let's put this together. I think this is what's going on. Here's what you can do. Um, and, and there wasn't anyone that was able to do that for me back then. So that's basically what I am trying to do now. That's incredible. Isn't it amazing how living your life and especially in your case, literally listening to your body can lead you to exactly the place that you are meant to be. It's so nice to hear that your experience is now helping you help others, which is always a great thing. Now onto the topic of hypermobility. This might be a basic question, but what is the difference between hypermobility and flexibility? That is always like the <laughs> leading question, but, it, but it's such a good thing to start with because it is so extremely important. And especially in dance, something like dance or acro, where, you know, we're not trying to quote unquote, just live our lives you know, pain-free, but we're trying to maximize our range of motion. And ironically, though, it benefits everyone to, ma to maximize their usable range of motion. So hypermobility, the word hyper in front of anything means high. So hyperthermia is high body temperature. Hypermobility means that a joint has greater than expected range of motion. Hypomobility means that it has lower than expected range of motion. So hypermobility is, is greater than expected range of motion. So that has to do with, with the joints and how far they can go. And flexibility has to do with basically the ability of the muscles and the nervous system to utilize that range of motion. So ironically, a person can be hypermobile in their joints, okay? So their joint has this incredible ability to go beyond a normal range of motion. However, their muscles might be really tight because the muscles are trying to protect them from going into that range of motion, or they're trying to protect them and keep the bones in normal alignment. And therefore a person can be hypermobile, but inflexible. So it's a really important distinction. Likewise, a person can have normal range of motion, but be very flexible because their, their nervous system and their muscles are able to utilize their full range of motion. So they're distinctly different things, but they're often confused one for the other. Right. I would agree. And that shed a little light on that topic for me as well. So is hypermobility important for dancers? It's extremely important for dancers. So let me start by saying that hypermobility is extremely common, even in the general population. That does not mean that there's a problem. Most people that have hypermobility have no symptoms whatsoever. So there's no need to panic if you realize, well, wait, I have this party trick that I've done, or I have this one joint that's hypermobile. Oh my gosh, now am I going to end up with chronic pain the rest of my life? Um, no, that is absolutely not the case. So people can have hypermobility and have no problems whatsoever, or they can have hypermobility and they can have symptoms that may be attributable to their hypermobility. And that's the group of people that we're really trying to capture and educate and inform so that they can understand, well, what does this mean? And what could I do differently to extend the longevity of my career? So for dance teachers, you know, you're always trying to work with your students, of course, and acro teachers, you're trying to, to help your students obtain maximal 
flexibility in the various different, you know, they're doing Grand Batma, they're doing Grand Jeté, they're doing, you know, various different, I'm much more familiar with dance than with acro, <laughs> so I apologize, I'm going to use more dance references. You want your students to be able to use their full range of motion, and so being proactive is is worth its weight in gold because once you have an injury, the body is going to be protective of that injury. It's even more important than in dancers and acro students who are not hypermobile. It's even more important to try to avoid injury. A lot of injury is related to overuse and that has to do with oftentimes with technique. So that means injury that is not related to a single traumatic event, but instead re related to repetitive motion again and again and again, the tissue wears down and we're not able to repair as quickly as we're breaking down. And therefore the student starts to develop a problem. So we wanna to learn to listen to our bodies with the right ear. We wanna to learn to listen to our students with the right tools so that we can help that student use those signals that are coming from the body in a very helpful way, but not in a way that's going to increase their anxiety or make them fearful of movement because these are things that can happen and we want to stay away from those things. Right. What would be some symptoms or signs of hypermobility? So one of the most common things that people experience is persistent pain. So pain is a, a message that the body is trying to give us to let us know that there is a problem or a potential problem. So it doesn't automatically mean that there's tissue damage or um, tissue trauma. And there's a difference between acute pain, subacute pain, and chronic pain. For the purposes of this conversation, for now anyway, we'll lump all those together, but there, there are very important differences between those different categories of pain. But in general, if you have pain, especially if you're an acro student or a dance student, it's extremely important to think with a curious mindset, okay, what is this pain trying to tell me? What could this pain be related to? Is there something that I could do differently so that I don't have this pain? Or something like popping or clicking. It doesn't have to be painful in order for it to be problematic. If you have popping, clicking, joints feeling like they're sliding around a bit, that is very, very important information. And that's how I would like you to view it if you're a dancer or if you're a dance teacher or an acro student or an acro teacher, that this is information coming from the body and think about it like, you know, like a detective, what could my body be trying to tell me? And what could I do with this information? Could I change my technique? Could I change the way I train? Should I be maybe incorporating more strength and conditioning? Should I be maybe incorporating a different work schedule? We see this a lot in competition dance. If they're rehearsing the same variations, the same routines that they're going to be performing in a competition, if they're doing those again and again and again, day after day after day, they are using those exact same muscles. They're executing those exact same steps in a very repetitive fashion. And when I was a dancer, we did not have competitions like this. We weren't doing that. We were taking technique class and which was much more a much more well-rounded approach. So we need to be very mindful of simple changes that we can make where, okay, maybe we're going to organize our work week a little bit differently. We're going to practice our 
competition routines a lot on Monday, but then we're not going to do them at all on Tuesday. And on Tuesday, we're going to focus on strength training and classes only, maybe some Pilates to work on strengthening opposing muscle groups. And then maybe Wednesday, we'll go back and do those competition routines again. And then maybe on Thursday, we'll work with a different strength and conditioning coach so that that way we're really looking at, at strategies that will help our bodies to be functioning better and really using that information that our body is trying to give us in a helpful way. That is such great advice for teachers and how important it is to really plan your lessons and organize your studio in a way that can offer this for your students. If a student is showing signs and symptoms or they feel it themselves, when would be the appropriate time to go see a doctor? There's a saying that I think ties this in so perfectly. If you can't connect the issues, think connective tissues. Heidi Collins, I I believe, is the one who said this first, Dr. Heidi Collins. It's such a great way to think of it because connective tissues are connect everything throughout the body. So if you have a connective tissue disorder, then you could have problems in every single part of your body. So perhaps you are having pain and bloating after you eat. Perhaps you are getting dizzy when you stand up. Perhaps you are having a lot of problems with anxiety. Maybe you are having not just joint pain, but you feel like your joints aren't staying in place properly, or you have difficulty knowing where your body is in space without looking. Perhaps you have muscle weakness and you have difficulty building muscle and and getting your body stronger. Maybe you have problems with sleep. Um, There's a lot of different things that can be associated. And I should clarify here that there's symptomatic hypermobility, which means that you have hypermobility and you have symptoms that are likely attributed to the hypermobility. And there's syndromic hypermobility, meaning that you have a syndrome associated with the hypermobility. If you have syndromic hypermobility, that means that you are more likely to have a genetic disorder. And there are literally hundreds, hundreds of conditions that have hypermobility as one of the features, hundreds of genetic conditions. And there are hundreds of additional conditions that that could also have hypermobility associated with them. So just because a person has hypermobility does not mean that they have a genetic disorder. Somebody also though could have a genetic disorder that has hypermobility associated with it, and they may not have symptoms. I heard a saying once, which I thought was very, it was so appropriate for hypermobility and hypermobility disorders and connective tissue disorders. The farther you get from the shore, the deeper it gets. <laughs> you know, It gets very complicated, very fast. But the bottom line is if you have a dancer or an acro student who is hypermobile, and if they're having issues, they're having abdominal pain, they're having cramping, they're having anxiety, they're having difficulty with sleep, they're having um, chronic pain, you know, so many different things that can happen in every bodily system. They're, they're dizzy, they, um, they, they maybe they're even passing out. They need to go to a doctor. Keep in mind though, that a very large percentage of doctors do not yet understand what hypermobility is. And unfortunately, there is so much strain right now on our healthcare system and our doctors are being pushed to the brink. Their encounter times are so short that instead of really being able to take the time to listen to this person's symptoms and say, there must be something going on here. 
and having the default be that they believe the person. Instead, unfortunately, in a lot of instances, the doctor is casting doubt on the patient. And unfortunately, a lot of us with hypermobility, we tend to be rather sensitive sometimes, not always, but we can be. And so what ends up happening when, when the doctor doubts us, we start to doubt ourselves. And so that's another reason why I'm so happy to get to speak with you today, because it is so important for the dancer and the dance teacher to know that just because that doctor doubts you does not mean that you need to doubt yourself. You need to have the confidence in yourself that something is going on here. I don't know what it is yet. And all I need to do is find one person who believes in me and who will try to help me find the team that I need in order to get better. So it might be a physical therapist. It might be an athletic trainer. It might be a Pilates instructor. It might be an endocrinologist or a cardiologist or a neurologist. It just needs to be a person. And in many cases, it's the mom. Man, have I met some amazing moms. I mean, they are just like, they, they will not give up. They're like, I know that there's something wrong with my daughter and, and we are going to keep after this until we figure it out. And that's, that's awesome. So long as, as we're approaching it in the way of, you know, let's get to the bottom of this calmly. Let's figure out what's going on. Let's try to figure out, are these things all connected? Because usually they will be, it would be unusual for a person to have five different conditions explaining these different symptoms related back to Occam's razor, which is it's more likely that one thing explains the five symptoms than that five things explain the five symptoms, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It does. How would you know if you have EDS or hypermobility? Okay, so hypermobility, again, being greater than expected range of motion is now divided into four different types. So peripheral joint hypermobility means that you have hypermobility in your finger, in your hands and feet, but not anywhere else. If you have localized joint hypermobility, that means you have it in just like a couple of joints. If you have generalized joint hypermobility, that means that you have hypermobility in multiple parts of your body. And if you have historical joint hypermobility, that means that you were hypermobile in the past, but you're not anymore. The Ehlers-Danlos syndromes, there's a group of them. There's actually 14 of them that have been identified now. They are the most common type of connective tissue disorder, but there are three types that are on the more common side and all of the rest are like ultra, ultra rare. So the most common type is the hypermobile type followed by the classical and vascular types, which those are rare, but not ultra rare. The hypermobile type of Ehlers-Danlos is not diagnosed by a lab test. So it is a clinical diagnosis. We have not yet identified the genetic marker or markers for hypermobile EDS. Therefore, it's a clinical diagnosis. Unlike diagnosing hypertension, which just requires two or more measurements of a blood pressure greater than, I think it's 140 over 95, making a diagnosis of hypermobile EDS starts with, do they have generalized joint hypermobility? And then goes on to a whole page of different criterion that include things that you would find on an echocardiogram and, you know, do they have pelvic organ prolapse and do they have, um, you know, hyperextensible skin and do they have something called piezogenic papules? Do they have arachnodactyly? I mean, it's a very, very long list of things. 
Um, you can access that on my website on the at the bottom of the media page. Um, I do have the checklist for EDS, for the hypermobile type of EDS. I often will tell people like it's useful to print this out and take it to your doctor's appointment, you know, not filled in, just, you know, I'm, I've become aware of this and I'm wondering if this might apply to me. They made the criteria much more strict in 2017. If you don't qualify for those criteria, but you do appear to have symptomatic hypermobility, now we call that hypermobility spectrum disorder. The big difference between hypermobility spectrum disorder and Ehlers-Danlos syndromes is that hypermobility spectrum disorder is more a musculoskeletal type of condition, whereas Ehlers-Danlos syndromes is musculoskeletal. It's also fragile tissues, and it's also um, changes in the skin. So you have like abnormal scarring, um, you'll have stretch marks, e even without weight gain, um, stretchy skin and that kind of thing. So the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes, it involves three different things, the hypermobility, the skin changes and the fragile tissues and hypermobility spectrum disorders is more related to the musculoskeletal part, the um, hypermobile joints, maybe unstable joints and that kind of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, what I'm taking away from that is you probably really need to see a professional to, <laughs> to understand which one you have or if you have one at all. Um, that's, that's a wide range right there. It's complicated. <laughs> yeah, yes, it, uh, it sounds complicated. So I would definitely suggest to see a professional to get diagnosed or how would someone go about finding a doctor or a specialist to help someone with hypermobility syndromes? So there's a couple of places that you can look. One is on the Ehlers-Danlos Society website. They do have a list of medical professionals who have submitted their name for addition to this list. They don't do any kind of screening. So just because someone has their name on that list does not mean that the Ehlers-Danlos Society has you know, uh, blessed them in any, in any way as being an expert, but it means that, that you submitted your information and said that you were interested in treating Ehlers-Danlos syndrome patients. Again, keeping in mind that that's separate from hypermobility and hypermobility spectrum disorders, it is there to assist people with connective tissue disorders and hypermobility disorders. So people who submit their name to that list, at least theoretically, are interested in both. It's ehlers-danlos.com. And then from there, you would go to the medical professionals um, section where you can find a provider near you. You can type in your, your zip code and, and that kind of thing. So that's one way. The other way is, like I said, if you can find a doctor to take a special interest in you that oftentimes they can find other people for your team because really what you what you would like in a perfect scenario is for your PCP to be somebody who is a big advocate for you and even if they don't have expertise in these conditions which they probably won't if they at least believe in you and they're not one of these people that's doubting you then they will be your point person and they are an absolutely essential member of your healthcare team. I've met some incredible PCPs. So I, I do offer visits. I have licenses in Colorado and Wisconsin, so I can see people in those states even virtually right now. I am starting to do some in-person visits also. So if people are out of state, but in the US, they can travel to, to come see me. But after that, then uh, we do visits 
virtually. But I also offer what's called information sessions. And in those, we talk more generally because you cannot become a patient of mine because you're in a different state than me. However, what I offer to those people is if your PCP will call me, I'm happy to chat with them. So just yesterday, I spoke with one of my clients, PCPs. We had a great conversation. I gave her my personal cell phone. I gave her my email address. And oftentimes we have ongoing conversations after this. In my mind, this is a way to improve the knowledge within the community because the more doctors that become aware of these things, the more that they can help people. It's like you, by educating the dance teachers and acro teachers, you're able to impact so many more dance and acro students, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, when I work with more of the uh, more physicians, now they start to see it in their patient population. So I get messages all the time. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for that phone conversation about that one specific person. Now I know what to look for. And I am realizing that I have been seeing these people all along. I just wasn't recognizing it. Once you know what to look for, it's kind of hard to miss. You know, you don't know what you don't know. So, um, so, so if you have a, a PCP that is willing to have that often very brief conversation, and then I, and then I usually make some suggestions, you know, if I could prescribe to this person, this is what I would prescribe. And they say, oh, great. You know, and then they kind of take it from there. That's another message that I would like for people to get, which is a lot of physicians really are extremely passionate about helping their patients. Oftentimes we're stressed because we have so many demands on our time and that kind of thing. But if you can present the information in an organized way and let the person know that you really want to get better and that you will do whatever it takes. And if you can't help me, can you direct me to the person that can? Exactly. I think those are great resources. You mentioned two of them. Would they get a hold of you through the hypermobilitymd.com website? Yep, exactly. And I will I will mention one thing real quick. So if you are, if someone is a dance teacher or an acro teacher, I also do workshops for studios. So, it, and if I do that, then all of the students can hear, oh, what are these conditions? What are things to look for? The teachers are often in the, in the studies, the teachers are often, because they're older usually, they're more likely to be symptomatic from hypermobility than the students. But if we can get the students aware of this at a younger age, these um, presentations often lead to very interesting Q&A afterwards. And the, the questions that the students come up with or that the teachers come up with are usually really fascinating. So if you go to my website, you'll see a section for workshops and you'll see a section for individual sessions. So I just wanted to explain that there's, there's different things that, that I offer. And I'm also totally open if you want something that's out of the norm of what I normally do. I just want to help as many dancers, acro students, you know, circus artists, ice skaters, et cetera, you know, as I possibly can. Yeah. Fantastic. That sort of leads me into my next question. And we might've touched on it a little bit, but what steps can be taken by the dancers and acrobats to optimize their career longevity? One of the most important things, and it doesn't matter if you're hypermobile or not, although if you're hypermobile, it's even more important, I guess I should say, that cross-training is so, so important. When I was a dancer, we didn't do any cross-training at all. It was all about, you know, taking class, rehearsing, performing, and that was, and that was it. And I think more people are cross-training than, than used to be the case, but the more that you can build strength into your muscles in an appropriate way, the more that those muscles 
will be able to hold your joints in proper alignment all throughout the range of motion and optimize your range of motion. So if you want to access your flexibility to the maximum amount, you want to have strong muscles. And, you know, I know that so many dancers are, they're concerned that they might get bulky or something like that. That's really in my experience, that is really not a problem for most people. Most people do not end up getting super bulky muscles. I know from talking to many, many different physical therapists from, you know, the Royal Ballet, Atlanta Ballet, all the, you know, San Francisco Ballet, all these different, you know, um, you know, New York City Ballet, like they, they incorporate cross training into their regimens early on and, and work with their students very early. And they'll, they, they'll do screenings. This is another thing that I would strongly encourage all studio owners, teachers to do is to do screenings of your students. Dance USA has amazing dancer screenings. And I don't know that they do them for like, uh, you know, pre on the pre-professional level. I know for sure they do them with professional dancers, but uh, they would also have information about how you could get screenings in your area. If you went to iadams.org, which is iadms.org, you would also be able to find a physical therapist in your area who works with dancers, physicians in your area who work with dancers, and they may offer dance screenings as well. So that's another resource you'll want to check out. And if you can do screenings of your dancers, of your acro students, that will help to identify potential weaknesses or potential problems before the person starts to have pain. So if you're doing like, you know, one-legged squat, for example, and you can see that, you know, they're not able to do that with proper alignment of their knee and their hip and their foot and everything, then you can work on strengthening those particular parts of the body proactively. It's so important to do these screenings and be proactive so that you can prevent injury. And because the best dancer, acro student, et cetera, is, is going to be the one that's not injured because then they can, they can perform, they can be in the rehearsals, they can be in class. So we want to avoid injury or minimize the risk of injury, I should say. Exactly. Well, Linda, that was great. I feel like you have such a wealth of knowledge that we could probably delve into all of these topics even more, but we'll leave the listeners with just sort of scratching the, the surface of this topic. <laughs> But is there one piece of advice you would give to the, to the teachers or the students? I would say the biggest piece of advice that I would share is it is never too early. It is never too early to understand your body. And it is never too early to know how to use the information that your body is giving you. It is never too early as a dance teacher or an acro teacher to understand about these conditions that may be affecting your dance students. There's a number of studies that have shown that these conditions are more prevalent in dancers. It's just so, so important to be proactive. I see so many people who they used to dance, they used to be in musical theater, they used to be gymnasts and all of these things. And by the time they see me, oftentimes so many things have happened to them in between. And I just think that we could prevent so much of that by having more information earlier on and really being smart about how we treat our bodies. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you so much for having me. If you are interested in hearing more from Dr. Linda Bluestein, 
She will be giving two presentations at the iAdams Conference October 21st to 24th. And of course, don't forget to check out her podcast, Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great day.